Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be celebrating communion together later, and uh, we're going to be worshiping together and singing. And um, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter seven. So you can get your Bibles out and uh, open that up to Mark chapter seven. Uh, in 1860, there was a book written called "The Mill and the Foss" by a guy named George Eliot. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the moments in that book was uh, a little girl went to the library and checked out a book, and, and eventually one of the characters in the book um, saw this book that the, the little girl had checked out, and uh, the, the book's title was called The History of the Devil. And uh, the, the, the character who, who saw the little girl with this book said, this, that's not an appropriate book for a little girl. And, and he said, why, why do you have this book? And so she... Uh, responded to him by saying that I saw it and it had a good binding, so I thought it would be a good book. And later in the book, that's where we get the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, That was the author back in 1860. That's where kind of that idea, that that actual phrase started. Um, And and really, that phrase, as we we talk about it, um, that phrase means basically one shouldn't form an opinion on something based purely on what's seen on the surface, because after we take maybe a deeper look at something, uh, that person or thing may be very different from what was expected. And, and, and really, what we see in Mark 7, there's an inner, a kind of an altercation between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees seem to be living out this idea that, that what's on the surface is what is the defining and the thing that matters. And, and so really in Mark chapter seven, tensions between Jesus and the religious leaders of Israel kind of reach a new level. They, they kind of, they, they up the level. And in the midst of this, Jesus continues to confront the kingdoms of man with the kingdom of God. And, and so kind of catching up in, in, in Mark chapter seven, um, I want, to read the, I want to read the first few verses. Uh, actually, before I get there, um, in Mark chapter 3, if you'll remember, in Mark 3, 6, um, it was after Jesus healed in, on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And the text says in verse 6, it says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So, so earlier, back in chapter 6, the Pharisees already started working and colluding with some other groups, the Herodians, which last, again, last week we saw, um, last week we saw that, that, that Herod, King Herod, who was a Herodian, he, was, he, he took John the Baptist's lives. And so the, 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 the Pharisees aren't exactly colluding with, with people of integrity. And, and, so, and so let me read the first five verses of chapter seven and, and uh, I think it's super interesting that we're looking at this today because uh, I, just, it, it, I don't know if it's going to pop out in your mind as much as it does in mine, but, but verse 1 says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, 
singing happy birthday, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not, any, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? This is known in uh, theological terms as the COVID passage. Um, it's where this all originated. We, we say that the whole coronavirus is new. It's not. They were dealing with this there, and the Pharisees were very much wanting people to wash their hands all the time. Um, I, I don't know. I, I can't pass that up. I mean, it, it's just... <laughs> And uh, so the Pharisees were also known as the, the hand-washing police. And so um, what, what we actually see in this, in the beginning of Mark 7, is that the issue this time that the Pharisees are bringing up, because they're always bringing up issues with Jesus and his disciples, and this time what they're bringing up is, is they're bringing up not necessarily a, 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 an issue related to the Old Testament law, but now they're, they're bringing up something that, that is related to rules developed over time in their kind of Pharisaic circles, things that they've kind of built up over time uh, that, that they expect people to, to um, kind of fall in line with. And so really, they, they talk about this idea of, of, of ceremonial cleansing, of purity, and, and, and hand washing. And in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament law... Uh, there was, there was actually, there was a hand-washing requirement, which was for ritual purity, but it was for the priests before they offered sacrifices to God in the temple. And we see that in Exodus 30 and 40. And, and so really, it was, it was really mostly applied to the priests when they were handling the sacrifices that were being offered to God in his temple. And, and so really, the, the, the Pharisees are not actually concerned about cleanliness or hygiene right here. That's not really the issue that they, were, that they were bringing up. It was this idea of defilement and participation in the worship community. And, and so if, if you were unclean in the Old Testament, and it could be any number of reasons, there's a whole bunch of different reasons you could be unclean in, in the Old Testament according to the law, what, what was required then is, is that you would, you, you would have a you know, two-week quarantine where you couldn't be around anyone. That's not true. But um, what is true is that you would be excluded from public worship and social engagement until the ritual, uh, the uh, purification ritual was completed. So there was all kinds of things like that that, that they, would, they, would, they would separate uh, from others. And actually what's interesting is when you go to the Old Testament and you see some of these things and you think these things just seemed odd and maybe even out of place for, for how we live and think. Um, it, it, a lot of it had to do with, with sexual purity and, and things that were connected with uh, the body's functioning of a sexual nature. And what's interesting about that um, is that, is that those, those things had to do with how life is created, how God chose to create life. And when those things were expelled, that that, that was an idea that was associated with death if there wasn't a life that came out of it. And so the idea of being purified before God, it had to do with God as the God of life. 
And so just a little something to kind of maybe, maybe keep us on that track of, of understanding some of these things. But um, the Pharisees, so, were, were concerned about more than just that purification laws. They, they kind of made rules upon rules upon rules. And so, so Jesus responds to them as, as, they, as they say, um, you know, why do your disciples not do the traditions of the elders? So in verse six, it says, and, and Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, these, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as, as doctrines the commandments of, of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And so, so Jesus responds to the Pharisees by going straight to the Old Testament, actually to Isaiah 29, 13. And, and basically what he does is he points out that the, that the Pharisees were concerned and focused on external correctness rather than the fundamental attitude and relationship that we have to God. And, and so he was saying that you're so concerned about these things that are just outward and you're ignoring the things that are, that are internal, the things that, that actually matter and have, have, have significance. And, and, and he says basically that true religion is focused on God, not merely human activity. Whereas what God says, what God says is authoritative. And as we, as we go to the, you know, the scriptures and we go to look at God's word, we, we, we recognize that what God says in his word is authoritative without question. There's no debate about what God says in his word, but when it comes to, to humankind, we may or may not have value in the things that we, we claim, that the, the laws that we pass, the rules that we make, but those things cannot have the same mandatory character that what we see in, in, in what God says in his word. And, and so what was happening was that, was that the, the Pharisees were raising their tradition and their practices up to the level of the authoritativeness of God's word, God's law. And so really the question that we have is this, is, is scripture or culture the anchor of how we live? Is scripture or culture the anchor of how we live? And that's really what Jesus was asking. Again, look at, look at what, what he says in verse eight. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Basically, he's saying, look, you're raising the culture and your tradition up to the level of authority, the authority of God's law. And, and the Pharisees knew better that, that, that they shouldn't do that kind of thing. And, and so later he makes this comment and he, and he says, he, he, he talks about the fifth commandment in, in the 10 commandments that, that Moses was given to Moses and Moses gave to the people of Israel. Honor your father and mother. And, and he says, and he, and, he, and, he, and he quotes that commandment. And then he says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have for, gained from me is Corban, 
then, you're no long, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, making the, the void the word of God. And what this was, was there was this thing, that this idea of Corbin, this, 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 this word Corbin that's used there is basically something that was developed by the Pharisees, which was kind of a self-righteous way of getting out of responsibility and, and blaming God for it. That's kind of my summary of that. It kind of goes back, if you go back to the Old Testament and, 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 and the, the issue between Saul and Samuel, there's, there's, a, there's a narrative in the Old Testament where God tells Saul to destroy everything in this particular area. And then Samuel, God tells Samuel, Saul has not obeyed me, he's disobeyed me, and he's kept some of the livestock, and he's kept the king alive, and he's kept some of the best stuff. And, and so Samuel comes and, and confronts Paul or Saul, and he says, what, you know, did you, and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I completely obeyed God. And then, and then it's almost a comical passage where, where Samuel says, oh, what is that bleeding that I hear? And Saul's kind of like, oh, I don't hear any bleeding. And, and, so, and then he, he, says, he says, oh, oh, you mean those animals? He says, oh, well, I, 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 I saved those to sacrifice to God as if, you know, Saul had a better plan than what God's plan was. And so um, Saul is rejected by God at that point. And so this idea of, hey, it's my way of getting what I want and dismissing what God wants and then using God as kind of the scapegoat. And so what, what, how it relates to the fifth commandment is that the Pharisees developed this way for them to get more from the people. And, and there was this, this, this responsibility of, of grown children to care for their elderly parents in Israel. And so what the Pharisees devised was this thing where if they gave to the, to the synagogue or to, to, you know, to the religious, the Pharisees, then they wouldn't have to, you know, use that to care for their parents. And so it was a, basically, it was almost like a, this, this thing that, that the Pharisees were running to make themselves more wealthy and say, no, no, you don't have to take care of your parents because you're giving to God. And, and basically usurping that authority and that responsibility and, and causing them to be irresponsible. And so, so basically the scribes actually undermine specific divine pronouncements in favor of their own human traditions and preferences. And so Jesus calls them out on this. He says, look, you're completely placing your authority on the level of God. And there's this reality that we really are capable of justifying anything we want to believe or do. And the problem with that is that Jesus will always point out the hypocrisy in that. He always catches us in that. Um, remember when I was in college, for my major, I had to do a, a practicum during one summer. And, and so I, I ended up working at a Christian camp. And so part of the, the requirement for my, to get the credit that I, was, that I was going for was that I had to keep a journal and I had to take all these notes. And I had to, I mean, I had to write a paper at the end. And I had, I, there was a whole bunch of details that I just wasn't really that concerned about um, as I was doing this during the summer, because I was working at a camp and, and it was really, it was, it was great. And so, and so I didn't do any of the things that I was supposed to. I didn't write one journal. I did not, I thought, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, write these, you know, how you, sometimes you irresponsibly write those at the very end. Um, I didn't do one thing. And so I thought, I'm going to just write the paper and that'll be enough. Because, you know, I mean, I feel like, you know, my thoughts are the same on the same line as the professor, right? Um, that's equality, right? So um, I decided that I would write a paper. And in the paper, 
This is what I wrote. And just a little embarrassed, this is how arrogant I was. I wrote in the paper that I was caring for students and being an example and, and drawing them to Jesus. I don't have time to do these details that you want me to do. <laughs> like, what an idiot. <laughs> Like, that's what I did. I literally wrote that in the paper. And uh, my professor was very kind and gracious, didn't actually flunk me, but gave me a C minus, which was the lowest grade I could get without with getting credit for my major, for my practicum. And, and, he, and he kind of confronted me about how you can't try to pretend that you're self-righteous to get out of the responsibilities that you have. But I felt like I had a really good justification for not doing anything that I said I would do. <laughs> and so we're really good at that. We're really good at that. And, but, but God has a way of confronting us when we go down that road. And, and so we, we catch up again with Jesus. And, and here's where, where Jesus has been up to this point having this conversation with primarily the Pharisees and the scribes alone. There's, of course, crowds around him, but this seems like at this point, it's kind of a private conversation. But in verse 14, this is where things switch. And, and in verse 14, it says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. And so now he moves from having this kind of confrontation with the Pharisees and now turns it outward to the crowd. And not only does he, is he speaking, but he calls the crowd to him and remember that up to this point, he's trying to get away from the crowds. But right now, there's something where Jesus says, okay, I want everyone to gather around and listen up because I have something that's important that I want to communicate with you. And so he switches from just focusing on the scribes and the Pharisees to the following crowds. Jesus wants to clarify what God believes about people and what he wants from people. And he goes into this kind of parable-esque teaching. And, and, so, and so this is what he says. He says in verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Which is interesting that later in the New Testament church where there's this big debate between kind of the Judaizers and the church and, the, and the, even the, disciples, the apostles about the food and what you can eat and what you can't eat. Later Paul talks about all that. Jesus actually already settled it in his ministry. But as usual, church people have a hard time transitioning from what they're used to. <laughs> and, so, and so it's interesting that right here, Jesus actually clarified all that about food. But then in verse 20, it says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And, and so Jesus teaches something really significant here. He, he, he says, and, and actually, I want to make a quick note before I get into what Jesus teaches. If you were following along in your Bible, you notice that it looks like they skipped a verse. Anybody catch that? We went from verse 
uh, we went from verse 15 to 17. Um, and, I, and, I, and I don't want to gloss over that just because I don't want to ignore something. Uh, the reason that there's no uh, verse, there's no verse 16 has to do with the manuscripts and the age of that kind of thing that we have uh, in, in, in our translation. And so part of the translation of the text um, is, that, is that there are there are all kinds of manuscripts that we have of, of the New Testament. And when you go back, they, they, will, they will take all of these manuscripts and, and put them together and, and, and look at the, the wording and, and the, the writing and all of that. And, and we tend to go to the oldest manuscripts are seen to be as the most reliable because they're closest to the original autographs of those who God moved to write scripture. And uh, it, it happens that some of the the, the later manuscripts have a common phrase, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. That's what verse 16 says. If anyone has ears, let them hear. But that phrase is not actually in the earliest manuscripts. And so it might be a note in your Bible. There may be a note if you have kind of a study Bible that says the earliest manuscripts don't contain verse 16. And some of our Bibles, it just skips from 15 to 17. Wanted to say that so nobody freaks out, okay? Um, but, but kind of moving on into what Jesus was teaching. And again, it doesn't really have any effect on the, on the message of what Jesus was teaching. And so here's, here's what's going on here. It is, is the leaders taught those who wanted to follow God that what you see and do on the outside is what accurately characterizes who you are. Yet Jesus, in this passage, Jesus teaches that what originates inside, what comes from inside of us, is a more accurate evaluation of what and who you and I currently are. It's, what, it's not what's coming in from the outside, it's what's coming out from the inside. And so the disciples, when he says this about the heart and stomach, and he says these things, the disciples say, again, Jesus explained this to us. And what Jesus typically does with his disciples, he normally will then explain the things that he've said that, that maybe are in this par- parabolic way, in this way of, 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 of kind of drilling down to what he was really saying. And so he says, look, he says, what, when, you, when you take something in, it goes in and it comes out. That's the way the body works. And he says, that which goes in, goes into your stomach, and, and it, can't, it can't actually change who you are. It doesn't change character. I mean, if you take in too much, it might change your shape, but it doesn't change your character. And, and so Jesus, Jesus clarifies that, 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 that our stomachs don't define us, our character, our hearts define us. They define our character. They, they reveal our character. And so the, the major focus of Jesus' teaching here is the heart. And so the reality is, is that the, the heart is the seat of our thoughts and will. That's where things start, is, is in our heart. That's, that's why we can be so passionate about things, because of the desires of our hearts. And therefore, what comes out, the things that originate in the heart, are the things that really reveal who we are at that moment. What comes out accelerated with emotion is your real-time character. What comes from inside of me, accelerated with whatever emotions are attached with that, reveal my real-time character. So often, 
I or, or we, we use excuses and say things like, well, that's not me. I was just excited or passionate or angry or afraid. That's not me. That was, no, actually it is because that's what came from inside. That's what came from my heart. That, that actually is me. And we, we, we like to accept that because it's just more comfortable to be able to say, oh, no, 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 no that's not me. I'm, I'm who I am when I'm at my best, not when I'm tipped over. But the reality is that what really shows what's inside is what comes out when we get tipped over a little bit. Um, last Thursday uh, in the morning, I, I went for a, a bicycle ride on the canals and... and um, I've been waiting for a particular call, and so I've been answering my phone uh, numbers that I don't recognize lately, um, which is a total mistake. But um, anyway, I got a call, and so I stopped, and I was like, okay, so I answered the phone. And, and on, the other side, on the other side of the line, it was kind of a, it sounded like a, a younger voice with kind of a, a, a southern kind of hick-ish accent, and it said, Grandpa? And I was like hello? He goes, Grandpa, is that you? And I was like, this is everything I've ever wanted. I think I'm getting a scam call. And I was like, I'm so glad I answered the phone. And so, and so I, so all of a sudden, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I go, grandson. (laughs) And he goes, Grandpa, I I, I need some, are you busy right now? And I, and I go, no, I'm, I'm just drinking my coffee. <laughs> like, if this was my grandson, he'd know I don't drink coffee. But anyway, so he's like, he's like well, and so he goes in, he goes in a story about how he's, he's in, he's, I don't remember what state he's in, and he was coming, uh, going from a funeral that he was at to the airport, and a lady ran a red light and hit him, but he's at the police, or he's at the courthouse because he was texting while he was driving, and he needs my help. And one, I was like, how do they know you were texting if she hit you and there was no one watching. But anyway, I did, the story was breaking down. But anyway, I was, I was you know, in, in character and, and, I, and I said, are you okay? And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm okay, Grandpa, but, but, but I need you to take my case number. And so, and so he said, write this down. And I was like, okay. And so I pretended I wrote something down and, and then he gave me a phone number. He said, this guy's gonna call you in five minutes. And if he doesn't call you, you call him back. So he gave me a phone number. I'm like, okay. And, and, I, and, and I said, so, so you're sure he's going to call me in five minutes? He goes, yeah, but if he doesn't, you call him back. And so then he said, hey, read me back the case number. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so this is, this is what I, I go. Oh, I just spilled my coffee on the paper. <laughs> and, and so he's like, Grandpa, write this down. And I was like, I was like, okay, it's over now. So I said, I, I, I said, I said that he is a person of ill repute, not exactly in those words. And then I told him that I had a certain caliber present for him with his name on it. And then he hung up. And and here's the thing. I, I very much, even though he was not exactly probably of the highest integrity, I said some things that definitely devalued him as a person. 
And then I offered him a gift that wouldn't be a gift he'd want if we were there in person. And here's the thing. I can say that this, is, this was funny, this was fun, this was, this, he deserved it. But here's the thing. That came from somewhere inside, didn't it? And, and, and as, as I thought about that after, especially as, of course, this week I was looking at this dumb text, <laughs> it kind of hit me that there's a number of things inside of me that are probably more defining than I want them to be. My desire to be right, my desire to give someone what they deserve, my, all of those things that come out. And I don't know if that hits you or, or you, you relate with that, but, but, but here's, here's, here's what, here's what Jesus says in verse 21 and 22. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. There are so many things that I, that I think of that, that come out of me that I think that I want to say but I don't say, that I want to make an excuse and say, well, that's not really who I am. But, but there's this thing that Jesus says. He says, no, if it's coming from inside of you and it's starting to boil out, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to work on that. Because here's the thing, as is, is, is we look even through that list, there's all these things that, that I can say, well, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not doing so great on that. I'm okay with that. But, but, but here's the thing, is that Jesus says, like, inside of me, it's not necessarily what's on the outside, what's out there. It's not what's affecting me. It's the things that are coming from my heart. And if I'm guilty of one of these things, then I'm actually capable of all. You know, I may look at that and say, well, I'm doing pretty good as I look at the list. But if there's anything that resonates in that list, then really that, that opens the door for me to be capable of any of those things. And I just need really the right circumstances to go there. And, and, and so, and so here's, here's one of the things that, that, that I think is, is I think of, of, of what Jesus says in this passage. And he gathers the crowd around. He says, hey, I want you all to listen to this. Maybe it's time for us to do a little bit of a self-exam on this because here's something that, that was brought up as, we're, as, as I was talking with a group of people about this. Um, how many people have an iPhone? And how many people use Siri at all? Okay. Um, it's interesting because if, if, I don't know if you do this, but I, when Siri doesn't cooperate with me, I insult Siri. Um, <laughs> And sometimes Siri says, that wasn't very nice. And I'm like, I can turn you off in a heartbeat, Siri. So. And it's interesting because I sometimes get frustrated and say things to Siri, but I can say, well, Siri's not real. But Jesus says, but that's coming from inside. It's, it's not an issue of Siri being real or not. That came from your heart. Uh, you know, when, when, I, when I'm driving 
and I, and I, and I say things to other drivers. <laughs> they don't know that I'm talking about them, right? They can't hear me. But again, Jesus says, no, no, it's not about whether or not they hear you. It's the fact that it's coming from inside of you. It's coming from your heart. You see, the point of action does not characterize us. It's not whether or not the person knows or they heard or someone saw it. We are already characterized by what is inside our hearts. And when it comes out, it is just an example. It is, it is a picture of what's inside. And, and here's the thing. This is not about being worthy or good or evil or redeemable. When Jesus talks about this thing of, of defilement or being unclean in the Old Testament context, it has to do with being alienated or separated from God because of my position. And the reality is that, is that something creates distance between, creates distance or, or, or there's, 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 there's some kind of distance between me and God. And, and that distance, so often we hear people say, well, I feel like God is so far from me. Maybe I should look at my heart for a second and see what's coming out of my heart because I'm probably the one creating distance between God and I. You see, there's something that creates distance between us and God and there's a miracle required that God does to bridge that gap. And in the Old Testament, it was this ritual of purification, but, but, but what that was really looking forward to and what we experience is Jesus and how he forgives us and he makes us clean and he's the one who purifies us. And so what resides in our hearts will either bring us into deeper intimacy with God or create more distance with God, even if it never comes out and we're able to keep that hidden inside. Just because you, you and I maybe are good at keeping our things inside doesn't mean, we're not, doesn't mean that we're clean. Doesn't mean that we have a great relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, just very, I think, appropriately, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. And uh, when you came in, hopefully you got a, a communion packet and you also got a card. And, and so um, what I want you to do first as we, as we go into our time of communion, I want you to take the card and, and I would say as honest as you can, write down on that card what's in your heart. The, thing that maybe, the things that maybe you kind of keep in there and you say, I don't want those things to define me and, and I, you know, that's, that's just my emotion. I was emotional or whatever, but, but write down the things in your heart maybe that you would say are kind of fall into this category of, of, of causing me to be unclean. The, the darkness that's in there. And once you write that, and, and you can take some time because we're gonna do some worship together and as you do that, take some time, write that down and hold on to that card. And, and then we're going we're gonna to partake in communion together that, again, reminds us that Jesus' death makes it possible for us to not be defined by what is in our hearts, but for us to be defined by who we have given our heart to. That's really what we remember. We remember that our hearts don't define us. It's the one who has our hearts that can redefine us. And so after we take communion together, we will together in person and at home take our cards and tear them in half. 
celebrating that Jesus' sacrifice has exchanged our sin and what is in our hearts for his holiness. And I would ask as you leave this morning, after we do that, that if you're comfortable with it, I would ask you to drop your torn card at maybe, maybe at the, on the floor at one of the boxes on your way out. Because we would love to take those cards and, and take some pictures and later in the week remind us as a church family that we're not, we don't have to be defined by our hearts. We can be defined by Jesus who gives us a new heart. So let me pray for us and, and then we're gonna be led in communion together. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much. God, that the things that come from deep inside of me that can be so ugly, so arrogant and so judgmental and so self-righteous, God, that those things don't have to define me. Even though those things come from inside, Jesus, you have made a way to change those things about me. You gave your life so that I would not have to be defined by what's in there. And not only that, but, but you, you can give us a new heart, a heart that chases you and, and is intimate, intimate with you. And that those lists of things aren't the things that reside in our hearts, but is gentleness, peace, and patience, and justice, and gratitude that God, you can remake our hearts, that you, it says in your word that you give us new hearts. So Father, I, I pray this morning that as we, we approach you in a, in a time of remembering the incredible sacrifice, Jesus, of your life, your, your, the crucifixion and the giving, the breaking and the, of your body and the shedding of your blood, that God, we could remember that that we can be defined in a different way and we can have new hearts. God, that we would constantly look at ourselves and take note and inventory of, of what's going on inside so that God, even in the most extreme cases, that what comes out of our hearts would resemble and reflect Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for your love for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.